Well, it's the fourth Sunday of Advent. For many, it means that Christmas is just right around the corner and the anticipation is incredibly hard for so many of us as we approach the manger. But there has been a lot of changes that have been taking place over these past couple weeks. First, the readings. The readings that we've been listening to and hearing on Sunday mornings have shifted a little bit. They've shifted from that sense of urgency and that the end is near to now more sounds of joy and excitement as we await the coming Christ child. There are other changes that have taken place as well. You notice all four candles on the Advent wreath are now lit. For many of you, your homes are trimmed for the season, your trees are decorated, and perhaps you have lights now that adorn the exterior of your home. I can say that there is nowhere that you can go where you're not met with a plate full of Christmas goodies. Lord knows I do not need any more, but thank you, they're delicious. And of course, there's far less chocolate candies in our Advent calendars at home as our kids look forward to counting down the days to Christmas. There's all sorts of things that are taking place during this time. Finals for many of the students have either are done or nearly done. Perhaps some of you have welcomed children home from college or other parts of the country. And of course, there's that last-minute shopping that still needs to take place. And I can guarantee and promise you that there is still a lot of deep breaths to take between now and Christmas Day. So here in the midst of all of the emotions that often accompany this time of year, we encounter the story of Jesus' birth through the lens of Matthew on this, the fourth Sunday of Advent. I invite you to turn to page 877 in your pew Bible. And there you will see the birth narrative, the birth story according to Matthew that we just heard Lana read just a few moments ago. When you get there, one of the first things that you may notice is that the birth narrative in Matthew is short. It is very short, especially when compared to the birth story in Luke's Gospel. The story from Luke 2 that we often hear read on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. There are no shepherds in Matthew's story, and the angels make an appearance, but not quite like all that takes place in the Gospel of Luke. In other words, Matthew's narrative of Jesus' birth is filled with brevity. Brevity is a virtue. He gets right down to the point. One of the other things that you may notice is that we get a glimpse of the emotions that are taking place at that very moment. It is easy for us to forget that Mary and Joseph were real people. Sometimes we place them kind of off in the distance and we think of them simply as characters in an old, old story. And we forget in so many ways that they were real people, just like you and me. 
And we catch a glimpse then of some of the interaction that's happening between Mary and Joseph when we see Joseph wrestling with things that have unfolded between he and Mary. For all intents and purposes, in accordance with the culture of the day, Mary and Joseph were married. They had not yet finalized their union. They had not consummated their union. They were not living together. But Mary was pregnant. And so the only rational conclusion that Joseph could draw at that moment was that Mary had been unfaithful. That Mary had been unfaithful. And Joseph had really two choices in how he wanted to deal with that. The first was to dismiss her quietly. And that language of dismissal means divorce. To divorce her quietly. The second choice would have been a public stoning. So Joseph selected to dismiss her quietly as not to bring about any shame or embarrassment to Mary. When suddenly an angel intervened, it took an angel to get Joseph's attention. Typically when angels show up, there's something that's really big happening. And the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I can't help but imagine what Mary and Joseph were feeling on that day so long ago. Joseph learning perhaps that his wife had been unfaithful. The feelings of confusion and frustration and anger and doubt that must have transpired. Or for Mary... The uncertainty of the relationship with Joseph, perhaps embarrassment that came from learning this news, the feelings of fear that come into play. I don't know about you, but I was almost 30 years old when our first child was born, and I was absolutely terrified. I passed out. I don't know if Joseph did. We don't see any of that in Scripture. But I was absolutely terrified. Am I old enough to be a dad? Am I old enough to handle this? To be good at it? What if I make a mistake? All of those things that go through one's mind when major life events occur. And I have to believe that Mary and Joseph were dealing with some of the very similar emotions and feelings that come at a time such as that. So when we look at the birth narrative today, one of the things that you will notice is that God didn't pick a poster child of people to bring God into the world, to make God with us. He chose a peasant girl. He didn't chose a poster child of a man who, who was able to exude the very definition of success. Rather, he chose someone who was filled with doubt, filled with confusion and frustration and certainly fear. In other words, in that moment long ago, 
Jesus came into this world. God broke into this world. God with us. In the lowliest of ways. God entered this world in ways that you and I can understand and relate to people with real feelings, real joys, and real sorrows. So that all may understand and know the very breadth and depth of God's love for each and every one of us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a 20th century theologian, pastor, and martyr, shed some light on this in how God came into this world for you and me. He says, in the birth of Jesus Christ, God took on the form of all humanity. Not just that of a single being. In other words, God came into this world as one of us was born in the same way that you and I were born and lived a life that you and I live. He dealt with joy and sadness, laughter, and suffered in ways that we do as well. And He died as we will die. He was raised on the third day so that death may never have the last word. And that's the promise that comes to you and me through the Christ child. Perhaps then this is what that language of Emmanuel really means. God is with us. That God is really with us. God is not there in a place where we think we should be or try to be. But God meets us where we are in the here and now, in the present of our daily lives, in the midst of our sorrows, and in the midst of our joys and struggles and everything in between. So during this season of Advent, as we approach the manger in the coming days, in the midst of joy and excitement over the birth of a child or gathering of family and friends, remember Emmanuel. When you find yourself longing for loved ones who are no longer with us physically, where there is a place at the table that is now absent, where we no longer hear the voice and laughter of those we love, remember Emmanuel in the midst of new relationships or ones that are broken. In the midst of hurt and pain and sickness and sorrow, remember Emmanuel. For God is really with us. And you are never alone. Perhaps this is the point of Matthew's birth narrative. It's short. And it invites us into the realities of life and living in Christ Jesus. A way that God comes into this world in the lowliest of ways so no one is too poor or too sick to be a part of this love of God that comes to you and me. And so we are reminded once again by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, in the birth of Jesus Christ, God took on the form of all humanity, not just that of a single being, so that all may know God's love and grace 
and everlasting life given to you and me through a child named Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Let it be so. Amen.